This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Let's talk Huawei first with Craig Earlham this morning. And Huawei, now the decision appears to be, is there a core involvement of Huawei or is there a fringe involvement? Because I can't see, I'm not an expert, I don't see the difference between the two. The United States is saying there's no such thing as a fringe involvement of a company like that. This does seem to be the view, uh, and again, I, I'm no expert on the, on these kind of technologies, but it is, does seem to be a debate between can you stop something accessing the core data or can or, or are you effectively just leaving yourself intentionally susceptible to infiltration of this data when you don't when you're not fully in control of it and you don't know who's going to be using the data so obviously the US view on this is if you don't have any uh, Huawei equipment then there's no way of them infiltrating and passing on uh, the data which you don't want them to to get Boris Johnson seems to believe that there's a halfway house here where you can have it involved in the non-core infrastructure and promote 5g at a time when uh, the rest of the the world's adoption is still low. We have to remember there are uh, four networks currently that do offer 5G services, but the uptake is so far extremely low. It's still extremely expensive. Three of the current providers already actually use Huawei equipment uh, and on almost on top of 4G infrastructure. So there's obviously still uh, a big leap needed if we are going to fully uh, adopt 5G. But at the moment, the issue that the UK has is that the, 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 the Huawei are far ahead of any of their competition and this was almost the reason behind Boris Johnson's comment a couple of weeks ago it was a case of well if not Huawei then who uh, because mm. I've promised to deliver improved infrastructure inc- improved internet speeds improved accessibility uh, as part of my um, my manifesto pledge uh, and yet you're telling me not to use these but also not who to use as an alternative and so the the leverage here, leverage here is uh, the United States and the you know the, the longed for trade deal. It's it's obviously, I mean it was, it was never going to be non complicated, was it? But it's just another issue to to throw into it, really. All even though I mean we've had diff- we've had so many different messages about this, haven't we? And I think business has been complaining about it. That you know the Chancellor said at Davos, didn't he? That it was the EU that was our priority to get it. A deal done with first, and then there's a feeling about well, is it the United States because President Trump's a policy, you know, great deal. I mean, these are just big bargaining chips being thrown around in the air, aren't they? Yeah, we're oddly seeing this kind of the, 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 this tactic being used, and uh, I hate to say it, it's, it's it's almost very Trumpian in that you kind of schmooze whoever it is that you want to engage yeah. with uh, at this very moment in time. So you speak to some cabinet ministers, and they'll be saying the US is our priority. This is what we promised as part of the referendum. We want to get this massive, ambitious, huge uh, step forward trade deal with the US, and then you have uh, Sajid Javid coming out saying, "But the EU is our priority." Both, like almost both of these, can't uh, be true in a sense. So. Yeah, it, it does seem like everyone's trying to smooth every side. The difficulty obviously does come with the trade deal. Now, what I find really interesting is while the US is very much being quite forceful in trying to convince the UK that this is not the road to go down, that they should drop Huawei altogether, they have also unusually kind of steered away from suggesting that it could hugely jeopardise trade talks. Now, whether the, whether that's because that's not 
fact uh, technically true or whether it's because they are just adopting a, adopting a slightly different tone when it comes to the UK than they do typically from other countries is not quite clear yet. It does almost feel like the latter, uh, as if they, they, they don't want to, to to come at the UK with the same kind of hardline stance. They very much want the UK on side and they don't str- uh, immediately before a trade deal is even discussed want to almost turn the UK media against the UK, uh, against the US in these talks in much the way that obviously at times you've seen, for example, with regards to the EU. So they're almost treading a fine line, but that almost makes, in a way, Boris Johnson's decision all the more difficult because it seems that no matter which option he chooses, he is going to dis- uh, to disappoint someone and potentially jeopardise uh, things in the future. Coronavirus fears continue, as you'd expect. Let's remind ourselves that the last time something like this happened, the SARS virus, all those years ago, global growth down by 1%, but it did recover quickly. Do you think that, um, and again, it's very difficult to get detail out of China, obviously being the place that it is, um, do you feel as though containment is much more part of um, a, a national health policy as far as a country like China is concerned? And indeed, let's the rest of the world. Well, I, th- I think it is very much with a view to the rest of the world as to why they have taken such a strict uh, approach on, on this occasion. Obviously, you'd look at back at 2003 and people are still critical of the slow, almost cover-up uh, action taken uh, at the time, which, which led to a, a more of a widespread and ultimately uh, more contagion. So they do seem to be taking a far stricter approach right now, talking about whistleblowing, saying that if you're hearing about people trying to make cover-ups, then you can report it here. Um, uh, and almost trying to send a message to the world that we are on top of this. We are doing everything we ca- can uh, possible to contain it. Obviously, the time I mean, the, the time of year doesn't really help this matter when you've got hundreds of millions of people travelling around the country to celebrate the new year with family, which just encourages the spreading. But you can see that there are huge containment efforts being made. And as of yet, the numbers outside of China are still extremely low, which would suggest that these efforts are working. But again, we are. this is something that's moving extremely quickly. The numbers, the, the, the fatality, the number of fatalities is now above 100, I believe. The number of, uh, the number of people who have actually uh, got the, the, the disease has increased uh, into the thousands. But at this moment in time, it does seem outside of China, the numbers are still extremely low. And that is ultimately very encouraging. But where we were a week ago to now is two very different things. Where will we be in a week's time is the, is the all-important and very difficult question to answer. Talk about trade now, and it looks like a clash on fish and financial services. Ireland is saying that's uh, that the 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 island rather than the island of Ireland. Uh, <laughs> Ireland itself, era is saying that the city of London uh, will lose access to European financial markets unless the UK opens up its coastal waters to. Uh, continental if i can put it like that um fishing boats uh, the truth of it is as i understand it that we are relatively okay as far as our coastal waters are concerned it's the eu boats that need access to them to fulfill their necessary uh, businesses yeah i mean well this is the thing and this is it's become such a weird hot point um in terms of the whole brexit discussion fishing has long been used as an example of where we need to regain our our sovereignty and regain yeah. control of our shores etc uh, and a lot has been made of what is fundamentally a tiny part of our actual economy and affects uh, very few people day to day so it seems one of these very strange areas whereby if uh, if Boris Johnson and his team does offer these things up uh, as part of negotiation which most people would 
would agree is probably okay and we it's not in terms of when you exchange for something like uh, access to financial services which is a far more important a far bigger employer a far bigger revenue generator most people say well that's a sensible thing to to offer up and if anything we, we gain a, hell, a, yeah, a heck of a lot more than Europe would but because but you, it's become you, such a politically sensitive yeah, topic indeed. then it becomes far more we, difficult we, for and, Boris Johnson and, and, and we know where this is going don't we I mean if, if, that, if, the, if we were to achieve a notable victory there Scotland would cave in wouldn't it as far as uh, Boris Johnson concerned, say thanks very much indeed. We'll be voting for you. That's the that that's part of it, isn't it? And then the the the, um, the other impoverished or the less less successful and r- poorer areas around the east coast, in particular of of the of of England, would also be siding up with that. It'd be a good political move. Yeah, high, it's... high high profile as well. You know, who cares about the city? Well, we know what the statistics are, but actually, Fisher folk, that's a big one. Yeah, well, I mean, we've we've seen the, the, the divisiveness uh, of politics for quite some time, and obviously, um, while the city, for example, is a massive, like, say, revenue generator, it's a massive contributor to uh, uh, to the tax purse. It's um, uh, and it's a huge employer, of, obviously, within the UK. It is also for for much of the last decade, for longer than the last decade, uh, being demonised. So there's large parts of the country which uh, would look at it and say, well, we are willing to compromise on aspects of the city uh, in fa- in favour of our fishermen, etc. And like I say, because it's been such a political tool throughout this uh, for now five years, um, it's it, it's like I say, it's an extremely difficult one for Boris Johnson to necessarily concede on. Even if if you just purely look at the numbers, then it, it, it's something that makes sense. But I mean. I mean, who knows? I mean, in a year's time, we're probably not talking about fishing anymore and we've moved on to something else that's going to be equally divisive and uh, um, hope, uh, maybe even far more boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something which isn't. I mean, we're going to hear about HS2 this week, aren't we? And we're probably going to hear about perhaps Northern Rail being nationalised as uh, Southwest, Southwestern Railways maybe being nationalised. Uh, the railways are in trouble. We've rehearsed this argument many, many times. Um, th- there doesn't seem as far as... Well, HS2 is a different one. Let, well, Maybe we should talk about that tomorrow or on Thursday when we, we know a little bit more about it. I don't understand how anybody can make a decision about it, given the fact that we don't even, they don't, nobody can agree how much it's going to cost finally. Maybe that's not an issue. But nationalisation of the railways, I mean, that, that's come right back on the agenda, hasn't it? And chuck into that um, extra funding that um, the, the Tories are going to give for the beaching rail cuts, or what, 50 years ago, £500 million, Labour saying it's not enough. Bit of a melange, I would have thought. I mean, it's it's almost all part of the same conversation ultimately because it's all to do with inf- infrastructure in the UK and how uh, fit for purpose it ultimately is. So when we're talking about the beaching, then we're talking about uh, tracks which were cut off because they weren't uh, fund- Profit- they were yeah. they were profitable, so they weren't viable from a purely economic standpoint. But we've got to remember that infrastructure in the UK isn't always just about the economy. Uh, isn't just always about the economics. Isn't always just about can we make a profit from this. It is about connecting all parts of the country and ensuring that everywhere can thrive um, even if the, the almost the hub of the country being the, the being London or being other major cities is where it is where the vast majority of the almost the kind of business takes place you need everywhere to thrive and for that you need uh, top quality infrastructure so it is all part of the same conversation and looking at these routes which were previously open and previously closed I think is an important aspect of that because when, when parts of the country start to feel left behind then we see what the what the, what that ultimately leads to it leads to a lot of resentment and it le- and that's why we we're looking at things like internet we're talking about it this is infrastructure to connect it the uh, large parts of the country rather than just the major cities and when we're talking about hs2 and we're talking about uh, the reverses of these uh, on, on the rails but also like the nationalization it is all to do with ultimately
ultimately dissatisfaction with how these uh, with how the infrastructure in this country is currently um, is currently worked out and uh, and the decisions that are made. We've spent a decade talking about HS2, and we're still talking about the fact that it may be scrapped. I think that's completely atrocious. And we'll be talking about later it later week. this week. Naturally, okay, Craig Earlham, thank you very much indeed. The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. 